one through five, just double checking. <laughs> All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Well, good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Normally, once again, let's just pray before, you know, digging, digging into this word of our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your great salvation. We thank you that those of us that you have opened our eyes and, and given us faith and and revealed your son to us, and you have adopted us as your children. Oh, your blessings are endless. And truly, truly, we could, we could just spend time. We don't, we don't even understand how much we're blessed by you. And we thank you so much for your great loving kindness toward us. Father, we ask, be with me as, as I preach and teach your word that what I say would be correct, that I'd cut it to the quick, as we like to say here. And that as your promise goes, that your word that goes forth would not return unto you void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And I pray even now, Lord, that also according to your word, that your word will edify and build up and strengthen and speak right to your people where they are. And it would instruct and it would reprove, and it would correct, and it would teach us in righteousness everything your word says your word does. And Father, may it also be if there any any that be listening today that hear this word, that a lost sheep have not come into the fold, I pray that you, this word so on, Lord, that you would use it to soften their heart and open their eyes and reveal your son to them. And save them, Lord. Pray you be glorified through your preaching of your truth, your eternal word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, as Brother Mark wrote for, uh, read for us, I'm going to be uh, preaching this morning out of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. A little background upon this. This is 8th century B.C. Israel is going through a national crisis. Their king had just died. King Uzziah, who reigned on the throne for 52 years. And in the record of the kings, he was one of the few kings for the vast majority of his reign. He, he, he was a godly king. He tried to follow the law and impress the law of God upon, his, upon the people of Israel. In the, he ended out his reign. He didn't finish well. 
unfortunately. We all want to finish well. But if you're going story, we'll get all that. He, he went in and he tried to take upon himself the duties that God had given to the priest, not to a king. And God struck him with leprosy and he died later. But I'm sure they remembered for the vast majority of his reign, he, 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 was, a, he, he was a godly king and he tried to follow God's law. And he, it's recorded that of him. But now as we see that, we, we see you know, the, the stage that's set here. And we're not exactly told, was this written before or after King Uzziah died? It just goes, it, we're just told in the year that King Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah had this vision. The Lord gave him this vision. And a few things before getting into this, I want us to understand a few things that help us relate to this. Do you know that uh, holiness is an attribute of God, right? It's one of the attributes we, we give to God, right? Attribute to him, his holiness. Now, holy, to be holy, or his holiness, is generally thought of, right? It, purity, righteousness. And that's the way we generally think of it. And there's nothing wrong with that, because that's true. That's the secondary meaning of it. But primarily, and especially when thinking of God and the things of God, when you study that word out, holy, or his holiness means separate, other, right? And how is God holy? And how do we be holy to be separate from others, but God is holy, 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 right? He is separate, more separate, the most separated, you can look at it this way, it's, a, it's the one attribute spoken of God, the one thing of God in Scripture that is used in the superlative form. I say that because I just realized that word studying this out. It's amazing when you study things out. But what that means is, first of all, it's the highest quality or degree the highest quality of degree. You know, we're going through a Bible study, we've been talking about the attributes of God. We've gone through so far his internality, right? His, his omnipotence, his power, right? His sovereignty. But when we, you touch upon his holiness, that's the, that is the embodiment of everything he is. The personification of who our God is is he is holy, he is set, not just separate from sinners, he is separate from all his creation. He is so high and so above and so superior to anything and everything else. There is God and no other, right? His ways are so far above our ways, his thoughts so far above our thoughts. And that's why, apart from what he's written in his word, we we would not know him. We would only be lost in our imagination like we were, or like so much of the world is, you know, apart from his word. But, you know, speaking of his transcendence, right, his, distinct, his distinctness apart from all his creation. You know, so many, if, if you went to Psalm 50, not a place in there where he's speaking to people who call themselves by the name of God. And just some words that sent chills to my bones when I read them. 
There's a passage in there that says, you thought I was altogether like one of you. In other words, that, you know, these people that they, they used his name and they lived an outwardly righteous life, but they were, they were just happy to, you know, sit there around sinners and sin didn't bother them and they were joyful over it. And they even at times, you know, cursed their mother's son and said things like that. And he said, you thought all that were like one of this, but I will rebuke you. And he was talking about in the future, that day will come. And you will find out, right? God is nothing like us. It sickens me. There was a song that came out many years ago. If any of you ever heard it. And it just sickens me. I'll just say it. There's a verse that starts out. It says, what if God was like one of us? What if God is one of us? And it's so secular. It's so lost. It's so evil. You know, it goes on. Is this blah, 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 bleep? You know, is he one like one of us? The, the disdain this lost world shows for the true living God. It's, it's really incomprehensible for those of us that he has graciously allowed to come to know him. Right? Even David said, right, the more he studied his word and went into his word, and the more God was opened up his eyes, right, he came to hate every false way. Right? To hate sin. And that is our prayer, right? That as we grow and are transformed more and more into the image of Christ, that we would come to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And that the very life of Christ would be more manifested in our own lives. And, you know, so does sin really grieve us at the heart like it does a holy God? But let's just, you know, imagine this scene this scene, right? So we'll just start reading here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I just want to break that down a little bit. You notice that where it says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. You know, Lord, the L is capitalized, and the O, R, and D are not. Right Now, drop down to verse 3, and you'll see when he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, that that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You might wonder, is there a difference? Yes, there is. In the Hebrew, when we see Lord written with a large L and then the three other letters being, being small, right? that's Adonai. Right? That is a title for God, meaning sovereign one, sovereign ruler, Adonai. When we see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right, it is Yahweh, the, one of the names of God. So when we see that, we can see in the King Isaiah died, it's also the Lord, Adonai, the Sovereign One. And a lot of those people believe that according to the New Testament, since the, the word applied, the name Jesus, is actually, if you search it out, the same word Christos, but Adonai. They believe what he happened here was not a theophany. Not just a theophany that he, you know, God presented himself before him, but a Christophany. What he saw was one of the appearances in the Old Testament of Christ. And we'll, 
we'll just take, you know, uh, a quick look at that, but uh, let us go. Did, that, did I forget to write it down? <laughs> just a minute. Nope. Uh, go, to, uh, go to Psalm 8. And here, here's one place, right? It's interesting, right? Psalm 8, verse 1. And he says, O Lord, right? He said, Lord, all four capitalized, our Lord, right? So, O Lord, Yahweh, name of God, our Lord, you know, sovereign one, sovereign king, sovereign ruler, how excellent thy name in all the earth. Go to verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent thy name in all the earth. When you talk about that, it kind of goes in. Doctrine feeds upon doctrine, feeds upon doctrine. We talk, how does this another way? It's interesting. Once you, you, you find, you know, the Trinitarian nature of God, you can start seeing it in other places in the Scripture. Let's not give us all three persons. This is talking about Yahweh. This is also talking about Adonai, the Son. And I'll show you why. It's ex excellent that, you know, that L capitalized, another three not capitalized. Go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, right, the Lord, Yahweh, right, said unto my Lord, Adonai, sit thou at my right hand until I make that enemy thy footstool. So we know from the New Testament, who's he talking about here? Who's the second Lord, Adonai? God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Lord, my Lord. Just interesting, I'm not saying that that's a fact, but it is interesting you know, some very some men that I respect greatly, one of them being R.C. Sproul, does believe that this, this is a Christophany. But it's interesting that whether it was a Christophany or God, because we know God, you know, God the Son, either way, this is a vision that was given to Isaiah. But it gives it, you know, helps us to understand that, right, our Lord Jesus, of course, we know is also most holy. You know, and this holy, holy, holy applies to all equally, to all three, you know, the all, the Trinity, you know, the entire Godhead. Okay. But the Lord sitting upon a throne. So he saw his Lord, right, the sovereign one. Their king is dead, but now the king of kings, the sovereign ruler of all, he sees him sitting upon his, uh, sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And then when we're told in Hebrews, right, that in various ways in the Old Testament, right, God did speak to the prophets, right, when these last days spoken this to his son. But this is one of those various ways, one of those divers ways that he spoke to us. He gave visions. And he always gave visions. And, and to the personality of the man who wrote it down, it is understanding what he wanted to convey to us. So what does this convey? Well, in those days, the way a king was recognized, when he, he'd come in, if anyone's ever, for instance, just watched uh, Prince Charles, King Charles' coronation, but you'll see our Queen Elizabeth, you look back on the past reels and that, but when a king comes in, they'd have a, they wear a robe, and they have a train on this robe. And it's usually very large, very long. Usually they have attendants carrying it, you know, it's so long. 
Well, especially in medieval times, in the B.C. times, a king, he represented his grandeur, his power, his domain, you know, his majesty, by how large the train of his robe was. Well, how large was this one? His train filled the temple. It completely filled the temple. In other words, you know, and that's what we're going to get in there when he goes down into verse 3 and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Right? He is the sovereign ruler. He rules over all. He created it all in the first place. And he has absolute dominion and power and control over it. Bar none. That is the king we serve. And that is the king that Isaiah was seeing here. And God wanted this written down for all time, right? Give a revelation of himself. We can understand the glory, the glory and the majesty of our God. Just have a, a glimpse of it. Verse 2 Above it stood the seraphims, you know, angels, specific angels. We know there's seraphim and cherubim. But each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. A little interesting note, I heard one person commenting when he was speaking on this. I like the way he put this. He said, you know, when God created everything, he creates it, you know, according to the environment it's going to be in. So it'll flourish. You know, he, he created all, you know, amphibian life, right? Like fish, right? Give them gills, give them that. So, because they're going to be in the water all the time. He gave birds, made them real light bones, and gave them feathers because their domain is the air. That's, their, that's where they'll be living. Well, these seraphims, he gave them six wings. They needed that. Two of them, just so they could cover his face. Why that? Because they were right there. That was their purpose. They would be ministering unto God and singing his praises and being in his very presence at all times. So they had to be able to cover their eyes. That is one thing that sticks out there, right? Because we could not look. You know, our sinful nature, right? That's why until the day we're glorified, the other side of heaven, right? The other side of glory, you know, when our bodies are changed and this mortal puts on immortality, we cannot look upon God. You know, in, in his glory, in all his glory. You know, I mean, when even when he shows them, they'd see s snippets of it. Remember, even when he showed, went across Moses and that he just let Moses open his eyes and he, he, he saw his backside just, to, just for a moment kind of disappearing. But that's the way he let Moses see, right? He, he couldn't show himself to us. We're just mortals. But just amazing that way. But now to verse 3. And one cried, one of the one angel to another, one seraphim to another, right? Cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, as I was saying earlier, that holy and holy does mean a secondary meaning of it is purity. You know, and into our respects, when we apply it to ourselves, moral purity, we know God is pure, he's above all sin, he's sinless. But in more so, you notice. There, there's this, you know, personal being of holiness, right? Your holiness where you're pure from evil and you're pure from sin. But it's obvious holiness means more than that for one thing, right? God's temple is holy. Well, that's just a structure, right? So it obviously means more than just moral purity. The things used in the temple, right, during service were holy, 
In other words, we just can see, right, that it has more to do than just moral purity. That's one aspect of it. But I said its primary, primary purpose in describing God is that, right, it's descendant that is holy, and its main meaning, its first meaning is separate. And that's what, he, that's what they're declaring unto this, that God is supreme. He's distinct. I said this before. He's superior to all his creation, right? He's so high and lifted up. He's supreme. He's majestic. And not to mention, of course, he is the personification of purity. But he's also the personification of holiness. You know, I said earlier, we've been going through and talking about all his other attributes. This one entails it all because he is so far above. When we think of a, a power, it, right, he is so far above any power we can imagine. Right? When we think of greatness or grandeur or something or majesty, he is so far above and beyond anything we could imagine. You know, we only have glimpses of it here. But it says that it builds us up in just thinking this holy, this transcendent, this superior God who is in and of himself, right? He's self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-existent. He needs nothing. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived together, have been together, right? In, in perfect harmony and unity and love forever and ever. They created so for their pleasure. And then they chose those of whom they reveal themselves to, and then reveal us unto, and then draw them unto. Draw us unto himself, right? But he needs no one. He needs nothing. But he, he wants us to know he is so far above and beyond us. For so far and above anything and everything that there is. I want us to take one other look real quick and see that this same thing is, same thing is of you could say the vision, along with the vision given John, right? The last book, the last revelation that God gave us. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Actually, uh, Re Revelation chapter 4, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit. We know John was, you know, receiving visions here, right? And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And we know who that is, right? Amen. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Right, it's not exactly a representation, but he's showing again, giving a glimpse, and in a way where we can understand it, and we just get further revelation of some of the things that go on in God's throne room, in God's presence. 
I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And there's a lot of theology breakdown here. But that is my point today. My point today is we're going to see how it relates into Isaiah 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. Interesting, these beasts had six wings also. Amen. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, or, right, crying one to another, right? Yelling one to another across there, not to God, it's out loud, right? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those be give glory and honor, see, so the holiness has something to do with glory and honor. Not just the impurity, that's a secondary, but that, that isn't the point they're making when they cry that he is holy, holy, holy. Glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne and liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crown before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The point I say that we can see again that that holy, 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 it's, in this instance, it's not primarily talking about his purity. That's part of it. What he's mainly talking about is his majesty, his superiority, his vast superiority and transcendence over all other creatures because all others are created. He alone is the creator, right? He alone is God. He alone is king. You know, he alone, and everything that happened is under his command and power and dominion and authority. And that's why they cry, holy, holy, holy. He is separate. He is other. He is the Lord. So back in verse 3, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we just see, right? That's what they're talking about. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Right? We get that same idea from Revelation, right? They said there was thunderings and lightnings in the throne room. And they said this. You can almost see one commenter said, it was almost like a volcanic eruption going off. Just imagine this vision that he saw. There were shakings, right? There was shaking. The post of the doors moved, you know, in this temple that, that he just saw there when they cried out and what was going on there, and he said the house was filled with smoke, right? The temple, right? And he was wondering, right, what, what was going on? Maybe it was incense being burned unto the Lord. We don't exactly know, but we, we could just imagine that the awesome scene and the one we just read about in Revelation there. Right? When he gives us glints of them, right, that like when we pray, we don't have to vision it, but imagine we know we're coming into his presence and he receives our prayers and he hears us. Right? Not because of what we have done, but because of what his son has done. And our faith in his son 
and his finished work. All right, we come before his presence. You know, just read, you know, Hebrews 12, when he talks about that, right? We literally come into the presence of the living God in prayer. We just can't see it. But that is the same thing today in his throne room, in his throne room in that, that it is just awesomeness and majesty that, you know, when we see the, the, the majesty so far as here on earth and that, we can think of something maybe no more majestic than seeing the coronation of a king or a queen. But that's nothing in comparison to the majesty of our Lord and God. It's nothing. It's nothing. He is so far and above all. Right, verse 5. Now, when he saw this, when Isaiah, then he saw this, and he's in this presence, he just had this vision, and they just, right, he's, he's seen the king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, right, the sovereign ruler of all, his sovereign ruler, right, and his train filled the temple, and he, he, he just got it. And I really believe that up to that time, up, you know, up to this time, because I know there's a, maybe it's just me, but I can relate to this like, until the Lord really started working on me in that, but I didn't really think, even when I was first saved, I didn't really think I was that bad of a guy. You know, do you know sometimes struggle with that? Maybe I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, or, or we sometimes think better ourselves in the back, hey, I'm, you know, you know, I'm pretty good, you know, or, you know, I'm a, hey, I can do this, I can do that, whatever. But imagine, I believe Isaiah, like most of us, will probably think this way, I mean, you know, when we look back, he was a man of pretty high standing in society. He probably did. Well, think about this. And this is why before the Lord called him and sent him into, his, into what would become his life's work. Right? Preaching. Preaching, right? For the Lord. He gave him this vision of him. And that's the first time. Isaiah had this, right? You know, everyone expects that now, right? The Lord even speaking to us today. Uh, beyond his word, right? That's an until he comes again, he's not going to speak again, right? And even when this word was written over this whole time, up to the New Testament, that was given during, you know, during the, the times of the building of the church and the first generation of the church, but there were only times when the Lord spake. He wasn't speaking all the time like some of these people want us to believe that there's these modern day prophets running around where God's always giving them words. And so I'm like, wait, someone here has a headache. Well, that's a pretty good guess. I got one, a little bit of one most times. You know, but I say it a little jokingly, but it is sad because it's so easy that we can fall for that. You know? I mean, you know, we just have to you know, use on him and that. And, but when we read this word and we stick to it, you know what? And that's what he means. His, we, we, his sheep, hear his voice. We start to recognize, you know, what's from our Lord. And that's why, for instance, you know, I truly do believe, just the scripture says in that, that Noah, the Lord's not speaking to us today, revelatory scripture and words. Okay. But with that, Verse 5, so Isaiah sees him as his vision of this holy, holy, holy Lord. I say that because I want to say one other thing. I forgot this, right? God is many things, right? And we, he's many attributes. But anywhere in Scripture where it says God is all-powerful, 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 nope. 
God is love. God is love. God is love. Nope. God is merciful, merciful, merciful. Nope. Only this attribute. God is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is full of his glory. That's what I mean by superlative. It's the one attribute that encompasses all the rest. He is glorious and majestic. He is above and beyond all creation. And therefore, we should be humbled before him when we think of him. You know, where some of these people say they get a vision of the Lord and that, and they go up, hey, buddy, and he tells them, I need you. No, no. Here's what happens if you really have a vision of the Lord. You remember when Paul just said, that, considering Paul, we won't turn there, but real quick, when the Lord just appeared before him really quick on the road and that, it dropped, it dropped him to the ground, and the Lord lifted him back up and sent him on to Damascus. You know, and then we, we read about the rest of the story. But here's what happens if you really <laughs> had the Lord appear before you, give you a vision of himself. Then said I, woe is me. Cursed am I. Right, woe is me. I mean, he just realized I am nothing. Woe is me. It's just the opposite. You know, the, the one thing the Jews all Jew always sought for, right, was the blessing upon him, God's blessing upon him, right? And you know, bless you and keep you, right? The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, right? Be gracious unto you, right? The Lord give you peace. The, the blessing of God upon you. This is the antithesis of that. Woe is me. I am cursed, right? You know, I have no blessing. Then I said, I, woe is me. And this exclamation point, right? Woe is me. For I am undone. Right? I am nothing. You know, I am a sinful man. I am nothing. I have nothing to offer. Because I am a man of unclean lips. First he claims he confesses himself and he realizes right there, you know, he's a man of unclean lips. Because you know, maybe he had taken the Lord's name in vain, maybe he had cursed, maybe he had spoken a lie before, whatever it is, whatever it is, he realized he was a sinner. He's a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he had a vision of the king. And this is why I'm convinced this is right here. Just like in Revelation chapter 4. You get a vision of the king. Or, you know, we read throughout the rest of the scripture, you know, about all his perfections and all his attributes. And who he is, right? As he said, what is eternal life? But to know him and he who he sent, his son. Right? And through scripture and the Holy Spirit, what is our goal, right? To grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And to come to know him, and we can know him to the, the highest extent that we're able as, you know, fallible, you know, finite human beings to know, but because of his revelation, he wants us, right, to go in and grow in that, our own personal relationship with him. There is truth that all these books out there, now you walk into... You know, I'll just say the Christian bookstore in town here, I'd advise people don't go to it, actually. 
But I guess if you need a new Bible, I would just say you can order online or you can uh, just walk into Walmart and you can buy one of these. 20 bucks. Leather. Hey, why not? But what I'm saying is they write most of what's in written today and calls itself Christian writing is anything but. It's anything but. And one of the biggest things on there is in one way or another, it's the twisting of biblical truth. Or it's, it's this, like, it's just, there's been a revival in the last couple decades of mysticism in the church. And it comes in many forms. But the biggest one, if anyone's here ever heard the names like Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, you ever hear anyone talking and they, and they highly recommend these men, you know, somehow they, they, yeah, they've fallen under, you know, they're, they're in mysticism. It's, it's just the appropriation of New Age and Eastern arts and everything, spirituality, you know, pagan spirituality, but they Christianize it. And they call it this way, you know, uh, yeah, empty your mind so you can hear from God. Empty the mind you really want to hear from God. First keep chanting this or chanting that, self-hypnosis. It's just garbage. It's so unbiblical. The Bible... And if we actually believe that, then we're saying that God's word is wrong. Right? He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Work we need not to be ashamed. Rightly divide in the word. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Right? For instruction. Right? For reproof. For correction. For training in righteousness. That the man of God. That doesn't just mean, you know, like I'm up here preaching to you, but man or woman of God, for the child of God, may be complete. Some will say perfect, that's what we're complete. Fully equipped. Fully equipped. Knowing what the will of God is. Right? The Bible itself says we need nothing beyond the Bible. The Bible itself says it will cause us, it will bring us in and help us to grow and transform us into Christ and, you know, and cause us to know God and bring us into a knowledge of God and continue in us continually grow and mature. That's how we can be babes and then go to children and then to young men and then to fathers. That's spiritually speaking, not age. Spiritually speaking. But so just remember in that, that's one of the things he did here. He gave him this vision. But now all of us can share in this. Yes, we don't see it. Remember now, right? Sight. You know, generally, like he, he showed to Paul and knocked, not knocked all his horse, right? But it, keep in mind, that was a very extraordinary thing. And if you just read what he gifted Paul for and what he called Paul to do, that's not your average calling. And you look at how much the man suffered. But also, and Mike did such a good job about that, going through and talking about, you look back at what we know some things about Paul's parents and Paul's life and Paul's position before he was saved. He was the man. God built him up, put him in that position, made him who he was and everything. Then he saved him, and he used those very things that built him up and accepted in his society so he could go preach that word where very few men could go. You know, before emperors and kings and Caesars. But, you know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, ain't I? Oh, yeah. But it's one you understand. These things, they're miraculous to literally for us now to get a vision like this, right? I'm not going to say it cannot happen, but I guarantee you these stories that I read and these books that come out there and that, 
They're highly speculative, and none of them, when I read them, none of these accounts have, for one, they've never left a person humbled. And that tells me it wasn't God they met. They met a spirit, all right. Or they're just outward lying, whatever it is, but they're just deceived at the very least. But he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I don't miss of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, Lord of hosts. And I'll go on, we didn't read it in this, but it's so interesting. That's why, you know, I mentioned that some believe it was a Christophany he saw. Because it's interesting. We'll go on, read verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Okay. What takes away our sin and cleanses us from all iniquity? The shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith in him, right? His finished work. So you can see here it's represented taking that. But we know until Christ came, he said, right? Beasts and bulls and the blood of beasts and goats and heifers could never forgive sin. Right? Only the shed blood of the eternal sinless Son of God can forgive sin, cleanse us of sin. Right? He had faith in him. So we, we do see him talking about, right, that only God saves. God saves. Not his work. He went to him. He, had, he sent an angel to go touch his lips. It's just interesting where he just gives us types and everything, but it's really interesting when we look at that. Because then you go on in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Another thing just mentioning doctrine built upon doctrine whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's just amazing the more and more we read scripture and scripture and then in doctrine and learning about that, we just see we just see certain things all over the place. But then here's Isaiah. Then said I, here am I, send me. He saw the king. The king cleansed him. And he says, Here am I, send me. I want to serve you. Right? Here am I, send me. And then he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. What did they hear and see and perceive not? And this is actually prophetic. What, what, what was he sent? In, in the end, what did they not receive? Throughout Isaiah, the first part of Isaiah, he, right, he shares the gospel. We see the gospel in the Old Testament. Right? He's talking about the Lord. Right? Messiah is going to come, right? He's they will be judged, but in the end, the Savior comes. But it's so amazing. We're told that in the New Testament, right? That even to this day, right, there's a veil over them. But, you know, that will be lifted, just like it was lifted in all of us. The day will come, it'll be lifted off some, right? Well, we know that. But when we see that, that we fall at his feet. The reason I say that, there's certain things that happen, and not that we have to have a vision, but the more we, and the reason I know that this is so edifying, we always talk about applications. How, how is it applicable to us? And I'll say this one, study scripture. Get a hold of this truth of how high and above and glorious and majestic and awesome our God is. And it will, it will help us and strengthen us 
to serve him. You know, to, to resist temptation. It'd be easier to resist temptation when we realize, when we realize right? No, we answer to the holy, holy, holy one. Right? It's the only place. We answer to the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? And he'll reward us accordingly. Right? We're saved by the blood of Jehovah. We're rewarded, but it will help us. It will help us and it helps build us up. It helps strengthen us. You know, when, when he talks later, later in the New Testament, right? And he says in the Old Testament, just the same truth. He's never changed. But if we call him, we're his people. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. Now, in that aspect, it applies more to the second part, you know, purity. Moral purity and righteousness. But also, right, we're to be distinct. When he says we're called, we're a peculiar people now. We're to be above this world and the things of this world, right? Above, above its lust and the things that, try to, that, draw, that it derives its pleasure from, right? We drive our pleasure from the things of God, our God and, and his ways, right? But so that in, in, in that way, right, you could say we're to strive for perfection. We'll never receive it this side of glory, but we should never stop striving for it. You know, then when we do fall, we do stumble. Go running back. Remember, he waits there, right? He's willing to pardon, right? I mean, we are saved. We are secure in him. But, you know, when we do stumble, they don't want us maybe, you know, uh, get in the race and start sitting there and wall away or get away from fellowship and that. No, just go drop on your knees. He, he knows everything anyway. He knows. He knows every thought we have, every word we speak, every word we're about to speak. He knows everything about us. So we just go before him, but remembering he is holy, 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 so far above us. But I want to go to another thing. Just like he saw himself, woe is me, cursed am I, right? I am undone. I am, I am nothing. I am nothing. I can Probably just all the strength left out of his body, realizing how wretched he was. Just like, remember, our brother Paul right, realized, I am a wretch. I am a wretch. I am the chiefest of sinners. Right? But before that, I guarantee you, when he was on his way to Damascus, he thought, I'm something. Right? I'm something. Not, not when he met the king. Not when he met the holy one. Right. Let's look. Let's look. Uh, turn to Revelation chapter 1. I'll get there in a moment here. Of course, we know in Revelation 1, this is the beginning. John's explaining to us where he is, right? He's, you know, giving us a background of it. And then we see that the Lord's given him a vision, just like the vision we read about in Isaiah. Right? He's given him this vision. And let's just start in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Revelation. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now we know who that is, amen, our Lord Jesus. Clothe the garment down to the foot, 
and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, just awesome, right? His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Just imagine this loud, authoritative, thundering voice. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I jumped for joy and said, Hey, friend, you're teaching all there like, like that's now. I mean, right, that's the main thing. You always hear about, in most of the worship music that's out there, they just talk about, he loves us. The big gospel message today in a lot of churches is like, God loves you and has a great plan for your life. He's your friend. Cross the sin bridge. Give Jesus a try. Nope. When he saw him, when he saw this king of kings, when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he fell at his feet as dead. I could see kind of no different than Isaiah. Isaiah, right? Woe is me, I am undone. He realized right away, oh, I am in the presence of the Lord. Right? And he realized immediately how unworthy he was. Now, people who try to twist scripture, you could say, well, Isaiah, okay, that was the Old Testament for the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And now, you know what about, okay, believers have the Holy Spirit now, so we go around and we're casting out demons left and right, and we're, you know, no, no, no. No, <laughs> no it is true. He's given us his Holy Spirit, right? And we have the new, it is the New Testament. But here is an apostle. A man that has been a faithful minister for at this time, 55, 60 years, has taught probably thousands of brethren, was instrumental and used by God as an instrument to bring who knows how many, you know, to faith in the Lord. Talk about him bringing in his sheaves. If anyone remembers that old song, right? Bringing in the sheaves. Here is this man. Right, filled with the Holy Ghost, because he knew the Word of God. I mean, we keep talking about Paul writing, and we will say two-thirds, okay, he wrote two-thirds of the book, but Paul wrote about half the New Testament. You know the other half that is split? You know who wrote, you know who wrote a fourth of that? John. Think about it, the Gospel of John. First, second, third John, and Revelation. <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote quite a bit. God used him quite a bit. But here was this man. You know, just like when Paul dropped to his knees, and when Paul got with the Lord. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention that. And when you read the story about Damascus, after he saw the Lord, and the Lord told him who he was, the Lord lifted him back up to his feet. Right? Just like the tolls. The Lord always comes to where we are. He, he comes to us, right? And we're humbled, and we need his strength to lift us up. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, I am the first and the last. 
right? Throughout all of Scripture, God always makes that first move. He always makes that move. He's always there. His hand is always out to his people, right? But he wants us to be humble. The more humble we can be, the more useful we can be. Right? Because we have nothing that he did not give us. Right? We hold on to nothing that he hasn't chosen to let us hold on to. You know, for instance, right? All we have, right? Our life and breath and our very being are all of God. Right? But he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And he tells him to write the, to write the books. But the main point I want to get is to, he had a vision here just like it's given. And the revelation, right, is the last words of God we have revealed to us. You know, there's so much in vision, but I, what, what I want us to focus on, so many want to focus on and say, what does this say about the end times? And it does say a lot. But its main focus is, remember, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Just as Isaiah had here, revelation of the sovereign king, Adonai, right, sovereign one, the sovereign ruler, this is the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is holy, holy, holy. Right? The personification of his character, I can't say that enough. The personification of his character, grandeur, he's so high and above. And when and we want to pray, my prayer is, my prayer is, and we're here for myself and for all of us here, that we would grow and we would learn the truth and he would help us to see through his awesome word, which is truth, which is eternal, and get to understand to the greatest degree possible just how high and lifted up and separated and above and beyond and supreme he is above all, and especially above us, because it will humble us. And the more we realize all he's done for us, the more grateful we'll be, the more grateful we'll be, the, the more strength it will give us to walk before him, and the greater our walk is before him, the greater witness we are unto a lost world. It's just kind of like, you know, that saying is like, win, 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 win. You know, all right, all promises of God are yes, and amen in Christ Jesus. But, we we'll close with that, but remember when, when he... When we see that holy, 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 and we just see it a few times, right? But no other attribute of God is given the superlative sense, right? Three times. We always say that here, like, and, you know, probably hear it elsewhere too, right? That, hey, God only had to say it once, right? And it's true. But when God says something twice, that's like pay attention. Remember, there's many times when Jesus was referring to us, and he'd say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or amen and amen. Right? He's saying, pay attention to this. Well, how much more when he says something three times? Right? Holy, holy, holy. Right? God is revealing something to himself that he, that he is, I mean, yells out to get our attention for. Remember, keep in mind, I am Right? Yahweh, I am high and lifted up. Right? I dwell in the high and holy place. Right? I deliver in, in, the, in the high and holy place, and his name is holy. 
right? But he's just so separate from all else. But you can remember that because it'll help keep us in our place, but also help us to appreciate just who he is. And just think of that, this God, this God who is so far above us and everything and everyone, he has said, call me daddy. I've adopted you as my children. You are mine. You know, come bring your request unto me, right? Live before me. I'm here for you. Fear not. I am with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you, right? He's given us eternal life. He's forgiven us for our sins. He's repeated the righteousness of Christ upon us. But he is our, on our side. We will not be greatly moved, right? He is our rock and our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer. Right. And that's why when we read those great exclamations of praise given unto God by David and Isaiah here, and then in John, why can they say those things, right? Because they were given a revelation. They were brought to the place. They, they saw God right, in continuous higher and higher form. They got to know him more and more. And the more we know him, right, the more precious he'll, he'll become to us. And then, I'll say, how can I say, if you understand, the easier it'll be to live for him and to walk before him in ways pleasing unto him. Because knowing who he is and all he's done for us and how unworthy we are to receive any blessing or any love or any mercy from him. Okay. Let us close with a word of prayer. I'm so used to doing Bible study, right? I was about to ask anyone have any questions, but <laughs> let us close in a word of prayer. Father, oh, most holy Lord, we come before you. And as your angels saying, and those we're showing in, in, in Revelation also, but for all time up, up on before your throne, they're crying, Holy, holy, holy are you, O Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. But a lot of times we don't see it. And we know the lost don't see it. But Lord, help us. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you lead us and guide us and build us up, Lord. We pray that what we have heard help us to apply it rightly. And Lord, pray that it would build us up, Lord, and draw us ever closer to you and transform us, help to transform us into the image of your Son. Lord, we pray for those that are sick, in the congregation, Lord. And Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified through this all, through this teaching, Lord, and our thoughts of you. In Jesus' name, amen.
in yet. <laughs> okay, uh, for those of you new in that, we have open community here. What we just mean by that, right, is if you are a believer, feel free to partake. We just want to give the warning from Scripture. If you are not a sincere believer in Christ, we ask that you stay put. We ask that you stay put. Oh, Lord God, for your own good. Amen. But with that, uh, those of you new here, uh, we just ask, you know, if you're all single, you're by yourself, come up. But if you're ahead of household, and the households normally come up and take the elements and go back to distribute to, you know, their family and their sister. And with that, you may come up.
more. We thank you so much. And we know that by, by partaking of this, we are proclaiming your sons, our Lord's death for sins, for our sins, until we come again. And we give you all the praise and the glory. We say, yes, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Please stand as we close. We'll close with him number 280 if you want to follow in there. But we have Eli on the slides now, so thank you, Eli. I appreciate you. Um, we'll just close with this one. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my ransom soul shall find rest beyond the Cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There, the bright and morning star set his beams around me. cross in the cross be my glory ever till my ransom soul shall find rest beyond the river cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me, help me walk from day to day, with its shadow 
in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my ransom soul shall find rest beyond the cross of watch and wait being trusting ever till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my ransom soul shall find rest beyond the Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, come before you once again, knowing that we need you every moment. And Lord, help us to realize that we, we stand only by your grace and your strength. And we thank you. Lord, pray, Lord, that as we go out into the world this week, Lord. I ask for, you know, protection for us, Lord, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Lord, also, Lord, that grant us by your grace and your power that we would be your good and faithful witnesses that we would be good and faithful ambassadors for Christ, that we be the light and the salt in the communities that you have called us to. Lord, that our very, our words, our actions, and even, Lord, by your strength, Lord, even our thoughts, may they be pleasing in your sight, and bring glory to your name. Your will be done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one last thing. And Lord...